Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Clubhouse Combos. Uh, it's just me and Evan today on a nice Friday afternoon. Evan, how you doing? Uh, pretty good, Connor. Um, two more days of work this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, and then I'm done. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, it's been a pretty busy day, so nice to just throw on some comfy clothes and we're good to go for this episode. Yeah, me on the other hand, I slept till 12 and then hit the driving range at two and then I'll, I'm here recording the pod. Uh, I've been watching some golf because my, my cash league decides our fantasy order based on how the golfers go. And I'm about to get the last pick because Jordan speed sucks at golf. I uh, mean, you think with, uh, listen, I don't really watch much golf, but I do know Jordan speed. So name recognition wise, you'd figure you'd be doing pretty well. Well, I learned he's like the 30th ranks right now. And the other 11 guys all got guys in the top 15. So it's clearly, fucking raked but i mean <laughs> whatever i don't really care but i mean hey, on the plus side though you get back-to-back picks i mean that never hurts though i mean i know you know you'd like kind of middle of the pack but back to back i mean never hurts yeah i know we, we had it last year as well our golfer was shit last year too <laughs> um anyways <laughs> a little a different episode today because really baseball is the only thing going on. So it's going to be broken into two segments. Evan and I are going to talk some, you know, baseball across the league. We have five storylines to touch upon. And then Evan's going to have a sit down with his friend Andrew, who uh, has a Red Sox podcast, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, and they're yes. going to talk about the state of the Red Sox for those who are local listeners who like to listen to the Red Sox. So th- that'll be the, the back half of this podcast. Uh, but to start... We're going to talk some, you know, general baseball. I wanted to start uh, with the AL Central. I mean, it's kind of been, you know, the past two weeks, it's been flipping, flopping with the Guardians and the Twins. The White Sox are always seeming to be kind of on the glimpse of of making a run at the division, but never can seem to do it. I'm curious who you think comes away with it, because I think whatever team doesn't win the division is going to miss the playoffs with how good uh, the Mariners and the Rays and the Orioles have been playing lately. Who do you have winning the Central? So, everybody knows, and it looked good for so long. Uh, I had the Twins at the beginning of the year, and I think the pitching staff has really hurt them. They have struggled away from Minnesota. They've really been piss poor on the road. Uh, I was just kind of looking back on some of my power rankings I sent to Dan. So, on August 1st, I had the Guardians in at twelve. I did not have the Twins in, and I believe since then it's gotten worse. I think the Twins were playing a three-game, two-game, three-game set in Los Angeles, and the Dodgers were just giving them the business. Um, Joe Ryan, I mean, you know, Dan had talked about him earlier, um, I believe a month ago, that he was having a good year, which he was, um, but lately he's gotten just knocked around, and he's their number one guy. So when you look at that, there is some cause for concern. Byron Buxton just has, has not been what he was back in April in May. So right now, if I had to bet on a team, I would probably put money on the Guardians right now. Again, you brought up the White Sox, you can't roll them out, but I like the Guardians right now. Uh, Shane Bieber has really picked it up. They have an MVP candidate in Jose Ramirez, and uh, they're just a team that just seems to be getting it done right now. So I, if I had to put money down, I would put money on Cleveland. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Cleveland right now, I mean, they're in the driver's seat. They're game and a half up on Minnesota mm-hmm. and the Central. I mean, but it's going to be tough. I think I'm looking at the schedule here. They've got four or seven, actually, in the span of a, two weeks against Seattle. That's going to be huge uh, for both teams. And then seven with the Twins later on mm-hmm. in September. Obviously, those are big games. But otherwise, the schedule, pretty easy. Like you said, I mean, Bieber has been dominant. Jose has been great. Class A has been easily the best closer mm. in the AL. He's been phenomenal. He, he, get, he really gets me hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. My fantasy team has three relievers, and uh, so I rely on him a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, that's how I feel about Edwin Diaz. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> I'm, I miss him. Now, now seeing how Kalanick has turned out, I miss I having Edwin Diaz, but... I mean, I feel like the Twins were the, the more active team at the deadline. They get Tyler Malley. He had a really good first start for them against Toronto. And they get Jorge Lopez, who did blow a save last week, but otherwise it's been really good for them with uh, Yohan Duran there. It's a good one-two punch. So you'd think the Twins would be, you know, 
able to close this distance, but the the, uh, the Guardians have done fantastic. Stephen Kwan has been heating up. I think you dropped him. I picked him up. Well, listen, uh, Connor, I, I dropped Maley a few months ago too. So it's just, it's not uncommon for me to drop these people. And eventually, oh, I, I have him too. He's starting tonight. I'm excited. Yeah, no. Well, listen, Quan was unbelievable at the start of the year, right? We, we both knew that. And then there was about a two month stretch where you just didn't hear from this guy. And then in the last, I believe, two weeks or so, two plus weeks, he's been awesome for them, hitting homers, stealing bases, hitting for average. Um, and so, Cleveland needed guys like that, kind of out of nowhere type players to step up. Obviously, Connor, you brought up that Minnesota was the more active team at the deadline. They needed their own guys to step up. I mean, Josh Naylor's had a really underrated season as well. Let's not forget about him. And they're doing this. I mean, they DFA'd uh, Framil Reyes. So they're just getting production from guys who are just stepping up to the plate for them and giving them good at-bats. We'll get into some other players on that team later. But um, you got to really like where they're at. I'm just curious, and I, I wondered what your thoughts are on Chicago, right? 500, 500, I saw a crazy stat, I believe, on John Boy's Instagram today. 500 this in the last year, 500 in the first half, 500 in the second half. Since 1972, I believe they're 500. This team is the most mediocre team in the history of sports. Um but they're not that far back, and with the team that they have and the, the expectations that we had coming in, you thought that they would be better than they were. Do you think that th- that team uh, has a chance to make the playoffs or no? I mean, anything can happen. I I still – I would never close the door on them. They were, I believe, my AL World Series pick, so that looks pretty stupid now. But, I mean, when you go into the year with Cease, Julio, Lance Lynn, and Kopech – You'd think they're, they'd be great. And, I mean, Giolito has been terrible. Lance Lynn has been mm-hmm. back and forth with injuries. He's been pretty bad. I mean, Dylan Cease just made his 14th straight start yesterday of one run or fewer ball. So he's been fantastic. He's in the Zion conversation. So he's not the issue. Graveman and Hendricks on the back end have not been a problem. I mean, it's just been the injuries, right? I mean, Tim Anderson uh, gets injured. I saw – I sent you guys that tweet the other day. They've now mm-hmm. injured every part of their body collectively as a yeah. team, which is pretty wild. Um so, I mean, like, Jose Abreu has come into his own. He's been fantastic in the past month. So, you'd think all these guys performing well, they'd be winning games, but they can't seem to win games. Um, I wouldn't hold them out of that. They're three and a half back of Cleveland right now. Mm-hmm. I and mean, anything can happen. That's just one strong series against the Guardians, and they're right back in it. But absolutely it's looking pretty grim. I mean, my whole rationale before we move on to our next topic, my whole rationale for leaving them out was the concern of injury. I, and I think I might have said that. I'd have to go back to look. But I just knew Tony Larusa is just not the right manager for, for that job. And I'd take, you know, Baldelli. And I know we talk about how it's a, like the players um, obviously have the most impact on the game. But I do think culture and, and your managers is important. So, I mean, Terry Francona, we talk about Cleveland, you know, World Series manager. Uh, he's unbelievable. So uh, I'd be willing to put money on Cleveland, and I think uh, we, we're both in agreement on that. Yeah, 100%. I hate LaRusso. I love I loved seeing Baldelli get fired up last week on that call. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it was nuts. I, I think he had a good gripe, and I think that kind of hurt them. Again, that's a big game. That's, that's a, a big, big game. Call. I guess Toronto, too. Um, yeah, we can move on. Uh, we'll go across, across leagues here to talk about the only other real close division race. Everything else has kind of been set in stone for weeks now, but the NL Central – uh, the Cardinals have closed the gap. They're now up a game on the struggling Brewers. I mean, the Brewers make that move. They trade away Josh Hader, and then they get swept by the Pirates. They lose two or three to the Reds. They get back on track. They just swept the Rays. But uh, I now believe there are three or four games set between these two teams starting tonight is obviously huge because like the AL Central, I don't think – the second place team in this division is going to make the playoffs the way the Phillies and Padres have been heating up as of late. I know you're a Cardinals guy. Um, <laughs> do you have a lean one way or the other? Oh, I mean, it's 110% Cardinals. And it's not just because of the guarantees I've made this year. It's not just because I've called the Brewers pretenders uh, for the last month or so. Um, but the Braves are absolute pretenders. Uh, there's just no doubt in my mind. And I said this to the chat uh, a week ago, maybe less than that. They have nobody hitting over 270. The lineup is horrid. It's horrid. And I, 
you know, when you look at the Cardinals lineup, right, they have explosive talent, people that can do it all. Edmund, flashy guy, can steal bases, get on base. Gorman, the young phenom who's got a ton of power. You know, Goldschmidt, probably going to win MVP. Arenado, we know what he is. So you look at the stark comparisons between those two offenses, and it's like night and day. I understand the Brewers have Corbin Burns and they have Woodruff, and, and that's kind of where they have the advantage a little bit. But, I mean, I think the lineup situation is just huge, and it's too hard not to look at that and be concerned for the Brewers. Uh, Brewers are frauds. They're, they're just frauds, and I can't put it any other way. Dan likes to talk about the Yankees being frauds. No, it's the Brewers are frauds. I mean, I have to agree with you on the Cardinals. I was on the Brewers train for a while. I mean, I, I still think if they were to make the playoffs, I think Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta are good enough to keep them in games. But like you said, the hitting has been terrible. I wanted them to go out and get a Josh Bell or even a Daniel Vogelbach. You see what he's doing with the Mets. Mm-hmm. He's hitting home runs left and right. They needed that, and all they did was trade away their closer. I don't, I don't understand. It's such a good point. And you talk about they had a clear-cut need in center field. Clear-cut need. You saw what the Mets did. They got Naquin. You saw what uh, – it was my projected trade. I had Loriano going there. How you don't make a trade for an outfielder is just beyond me. I, I don't know what they're doing. And, and you, you talk about the hater trade. Maybe they just don't think this team can do much, so they just tried to get assets for hater. Maybe they just don't think this team can win this year. I don't know. But they're past their window. Their window, we said it. I think me and you did a pod a couple weeks ago. We said it. I mean, their window has closed. Their window was like two years ago when they were in the NLCS and uh, just not that time anymore. 100%. And you look at the Cardinals, they're they're getting production out of guys you wouldn't even think of. Like, Miles Michaelis has had a, a renaissance year for them. It's been awesome for my fans. Without Jack Flaherty even throwing a pitch this year, I mean, for the first couple months, Ryan Helsley has come out of nowhere as the most dominant closer in, by baseball. I mean... And then the young guy, like you said, Gorman, uh, Donovan there, is, they're unbelievable. That lineup is, is rock solid from top to bottom. I mean, Goldschmidt went 3-4 for four yesterday. Even though they lost, they still put the reins to the Rockies. So, I mean, I don't know. I think for them, it, it, they're getting in. I agree. And let's not forget, too, and, I, and when I was explaining this team, they just have every element of the game. They have defense. You talk Arenado at third. We know what he's about, for example. The power. The, the amount of power hitters that they have, the leadership with Molina and Pujols still there. I, th- I just think they hit every sort of quota that you want in a team. And that's why I love them so much. And that's why I think they're a serious threat in the National League if they get in. I 100% agree. I think they can make a splash um, against any of these teams. And they didn't make, I feel like they didn't make too many moves, did they? The Cardinals? Uh, just, and it was good just for the starting pitching, which they needed. Oh, you're right. Quintana and Montgomery. So yeah. you get those two guys, and I think that they're doing really well. Yeah. And I think that was the only need for them, and they, they did really mm-hmm. well. Quintana pitched great last night. Montgomery obviously shot out his former team. Who, why they traded him, I have no idea, but yeah. that's neither here nor there. Our final topic before we get into more, some two open ended topics. I mean, can anyone beat the Dodgers right now? They're, they've won 10 straight. I mean, they are ridiculous. I made the jump two weeks ago to move them up to my top team in the power rankings. They look unbeatable. And, I mean, they're getting production of, from Joey Gallo, of all people, who's the worst hitter ah. in all of baseball. He hit a three-run pinch hit bomb the other day. I mean, they look ridiculous. I mean, it's, I mean all that talk about San Diego being uh, good after those trades, the Dodgers, man, I don't know. I think they're a force to be reckoned with. Here's a take, and I'll guarantee it. The only team that has a shot to beat the Dodgers in the playoffs are my Cardinals. Padres won't do it. Mets won't do it. Braves won't do it. Braves Braves would probably have the best shot of those three. It's going to be the Cardinals. Cardinals have the best shot. And I said, and part of my guarantee was that they would make it to the NLCS. I think if it's a Cardinals-Dodgers-NLCS Watch out. I think the Cardinals could get past the Dodgers. I don't see any other team. Uh, we see the dominance over the Padres. Um, I, I, Again, I think I said it a week or two ago. I just trust the, um, the bats of the Dodgers more than the bats of the Mets. That was just the big thing for me. And so 
the Braves, again, Dodgers have had some moments against the Braves. You think about the Bellinger home run off Chris Martin in that playoff game. And uh, it's the Dodgers time. So to answer the question in short, Connor, no. I don't I don't think anybody but maybe the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I think the Cardinals have the bats to compete. I like the – honestly, I think the Phillies, if they get good enough pitching out of Wheeler and Nola, they have bats too. Obviously, the Mets – if DeGrom and Scherzer can kind of get going uh, again, I think they have a decent shot, but I mean, the Dodgers are unbelievable. And I think we, we shot on them at the beginning of the year for having eight starters. We're like, what are we going to do with all the starting pitching? And now you've got Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson, both I believe are like 12 and one or 12 and Oh, with Dustin May and Walker Bueller out. I mean, the Dodgers whoever runs their analytics and their pitching department deserves a raise because they have, revived Tyler Anderson's career and Gonsolin has been unbelievable. It's crazy. And, and Heaney too. Heaney as well as I think is also undefeated. Uh, and, and, that, and here's what, and that's such a good point, Connor. Here's what they can do. They get Dustin May back next week and obviously Bueller's back in some way. They can just stack these guys in the bullpen in the playoffs. So you just bring in these guys to just eat chunks of innings when they're known for throwing lots of innings because especially in the playoffs, it's hard with relievers, it's a lot of matchup type stuff. A lot of relievers are tired. Um, you want to kind of strategically plan out the game plan for when you bring guys in. They can just bring in a guy like Walker Bueller out of the bullpen to throw four innings if they wanted to. They, they're just they have that option. So that's such a good point. No, I know, right? And then on top of that, I mean Kershaw. I mean Kershaw's been up and down. I know he started the All Star game. That was kind of bullshit, but he's been pretty good. <laughs> Julio Urias has been fantastic. That guy's nuts. Um, who is their, who's their fifth starter there? It's those two, Gonsolin, Anderson, and oh, Mitch White. It was Mitch White for a little bit. Yeah. I think Pepio started the other night, so I don't, like, yeah. they're just pulling people. So it'd be good to get Dustin May back uh, in a relief role. But I mean, I've stashed him for about a month and a half now, <laughs> waiting for this moment. <laughs> I know, right? I think he, I honestly think they're going to use him out of the bullpen exclusively, though. I'm not sure he's going to be ready, especially coming back from the injury. Yeah, uh, yeah, down the stretch, that makes sense. But I mean, the Dodgers are are easily are they your top power ranks team now? Yeah, I made the switch last week. Yeah, I did too. I think I think most of us agree, at least two of us. I think someone might have had the the Astros up there. But yeah, and I believe who I think Colin's been on the Dodgers at number one, or it was either it's either Colin or Dan that's had them there for a while. So shout out to who, whichever one of yeah, those guys. I don't know. I'm running the power rankings now, and I don't even remember. <laughs> um, I mean that wraps up our yeah. our league wide talk. More open ended stuff now since there's not too much to report on. Uh, we each have picked a pitcher and a, a hitter that we feel are the most underrated. They don't get any media coverage, and they deserve it. Uh, so we're going to highlight some of those guys. Let's start with hitters. Who is your underrated hitter? Um, going to Cleveland, and I'm taking Andres Jimenez from Cleveland. Uh, I'll just quickly read over his stats. 45 runs, 12 homers, 50 RBIs, 14 steals, and he's hitting 304. I think he's undeniably their second-best hitter. This season, behind obviously Jose Ramirez, who we've talked about uh, on the show so far, and I think you get someone like that who can do it all for you. You can hit them, you know, top two in the lineup. I think that does a lot. You set the table. At one point earlier in the year, he was hitting seventh, and so Francona's finally made the change to get him up higher in the order. You, you know, I bring up the analogy: set the table. That's what he does. Gets on base, walks, gets hits. He can steal. Um, can run the bases really well. And then you have, like I said, you have guys like Naylor and Jose Ramirez and these other guys in behind them to drive them home. Uh, so I think he's a guy who does not get talked about at all, um, having a just this crazy out of nowhere season. And he deserves some credit for, you know, having the Guardians where they are. I don't know if they're there if they don't have this guy. So shout out to another guy that I dropped in fantasy earlier in the year. <laughs> I, I didn't pick him up. I wish I did. I missed on that chance. But you're right. He's been fantastic. One of the top second basemen in the AL, and he can kind of play everywhere. I know he's been playing some short. I think he even played some first base a couple times, so very versatile. He made that sick behind-the-back double play in the All-Star game. Mm. That was so fucking cool. Yeah. So that was a great yeah. pick. Who needs Lindor at, like, $200 million when you can pay this guy chunk change? 
Yeah, exactly. I 100%. He's awesome. Small market team. Doesn't get the media coverage. Uh, for me, it's a guy I've been had on my fantasy team since probably May. Uh, it's Brandon Drury of the now San Diego Padres. Uh, was with the Reds on a minor league deal, as you mentioned to me before we started this pod. Uh, he's hitting 268 with 22 bombs. He can play every single infield position and outfield. Uh, he's already hit two bombs with the Padres. He's had three robbed with the Padres since joining the Padres. Actually, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Every day I go on Twitter and I see Brandon Drury robbed. Like my fantasy team is starving for homers, and I can't fucking get one. But he's been great. Shut up, you judge. Yeah, I mean, he kind of was under the under the radar on the Reds. Obviously, no one covers the Reds as they are one of the worst teams in the league. And then he kind of got overshadowed by the Soto and Bell trade. Uh, but he's been a key piece for the Padres. I think he's hitting over 300 since joining their team. Huge contributor. Hits a grand slam in his first at-bat uh, with the Padres. So a guy that uh, he's like top 40 in fantasy. He's been unbelievable and no one's talking about him. So I will love to give him a shout-out here. wish he was a Mariner. They didn't pull the trigger. Oh, well. Um, Sorry, they got Luis. Actually, Adam Frazier's on like an 18-game hit streak. He fucking heard the news and he went nuts. Yeah, he's been really good. I've been, I have been seeing that. Yeah, he's been great. Uh, who's your pitcher? Well, I just, I, I guess, I got to stay in Cleveland because this guy I came into the year loving. Um, had him as my reliever of the year, and I mean, for all the talk about guys like Clay Holmes and fucking, you know. Guys like Rysel Iglesias, for example. I, I'm just going off the top of my head. Why does nobody fucking talk about this guy? This guy is the best, and, and we talk about Edwin Diaz. This guy, in my opinion, is the second best reliever in baseball. Why is he not talked about? I, I don't understand. I, it's got to be Emmanuel Classe, who has 26 saves this year, uh, 50 strikeouts in 47 and two-thirds innings, a 1.32 ERA, and a 0.69 whip. I mean, I think back to last year, or, or yeah, I, it might have been last year. Coming into the season last year, it was, you know, Cleveland's closer job was up for grabs. The expectation was that it was probably going to be James Karinchak, who was going to, you know, as the rookie last year, was going to just emerge to get the saves. He winds up, you know, starting the year as the closer. He wasn't great. And so... I don't know. I don't know if he got injured. He might have got injured last year for, for a time. And then they had to go to this guy who at that point in time, nobody had ever heard of. Nobody had ever heard of this guy. And Classic comes in. Last season, he gets 24 saves, uh, strikes up 74, and a 1.29 ERA. And, and again, a whip under one. So then people kind of notice him. Um, people like me were high on him coming in, and he has just delivered once again this year. So yeah, it, it, it's a cool story. Again, nobody even knowing who he was last year to where he is now. He's the best reliever in the American League. He's the second best reliever in baseball, and he should be talked about more. It's it's a disgrace. I, to be honest, I thought you were going to say Tristan McKenzie, who's been so fucking mm. good for them, but you're right. I mean, him too. Yeah. Class A has been unbelievable. I mean, and they have like five more years of control on the guy. Like he's going to be a mainstay on that team for a long time. I think his his one hundred and two cutter might be the most unhittable pitch in baseball. It's ridiculous that he can throw that pitch that fast. I mean, he is unhittable. You're right. He's the best reliever in the AL. Clay Holmes can go fuck off. And <laughs> Class A is a beast. And have him and Karinchek in the eighth and ninth is a luxury that only Milwaukee had for a little bit before they ruined it. Um, right. and that's a great choice because I agree. And, and then he goes to the All Star game. And he strikes out the side of the ninth and fucking says "fuck you, everyone." Uh, Love it. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> pick. Uh, I'm gonna go with Framber Valdez because no one, Ooh, yeah, no one talks about this guy either. Kind of overshadowed by Verlander, who's I think the leading candidate for Cy Young now. But Valdez last night registered his 17th straight quality start. Uh, it's the second lowest ERA in baseball behind his uh, running mate there, Verlander. He's been unbelievable, dude. All of his pitches, I mean, he's a ground ball wizard. I think that induces the, probably the most ground balls in the league, and he's starting to strike guys out. Um, so for the you know the Astros, who last year were kind of stringing it together in the playoffs with all their pitching, I mean, this guy is coming to his own, him and Verlander. Even like Luis Garcia there, 
they've been kind of finding guys, you know, throwing them into the mix. But Valdez, holy shit, he's been good. I know he's surpassed McClanahan in the RA at this point, I think. Um, and he doesn't get talked about enough because Verlander's there, but he deserves it because he is phenomenal. I had to go against him last week in fantasy. It was a rough seven days. I think he made two starts. <laughs> Not sure he allowed a run. Um, no, it, That's a really good one. That I mean, you got me with that one. I was not expecting it, and I just, you know, I just went on his uh, Yahoo fantasy profile, and literally the caption, the advice says, based on his seven scoreless, I believe, like you said last night, um, the caption goes: While everybody is talking about Justin Verlander and Dylan Cease, Valdez has racked up an incredible nineteen quality starts in a row. That's, That's eight more quality starts than Cease has on the season, and he's eleven and four. Eight more than Dylan Cease, and Dylan Cease has had like an insane amount. I can't believe that I just read that. That's nuts. Yeah. Wow. He's been great. I mean, he was huge against the Red Sox in the playoffs last year. I think it was really when guys like Luis Garcia were a little bit shaky, and uh, I mean Valdez had two good starts against the Red Sox, I believe, in that series. Uh, I could be wrong, but I do remember him on the mound with it, with that hat sort of like tilted up and away. It's very, it's at a very distinct angle. I guess it's his little thing, but. Good pick. Yeah. Uh, I remember watching that those playoffs list. I was like, who the fuck is Frambert Valdez? And who the fuck is Luis Garcia? And little do we know that yeah. they're it's fucking ridiculous. Um, the Astros are so good. They're so lucky to have that pitching yeah. stuff. Um, what do we have? 26 minutes in. We're going to finish. Just a What's up? Just a storyline. Yeah, left, yeah. Correct? We're just going to finish with each of us giving a storyline what to watch for the rest of the way, something we find interesting, something worth looking at. What do you got? So my storyline for the rest of the year, so I'm just going to read a little bit from the CBS article. I just think this is such a funny sort of thing, and I think it's going to be relevant down the stretch. Um, Brave Spencer Strider, unimpressed by Mets offense, <laughs> says teams will see what things are like in October. Um New York Mets on Sunday prevailed in the series finale over the Atlanta Braves, and in doing so took four of five from the NLE, their NL East rivals. As a consequence, their division lead is now, you know, at this point, six and a half games. Not insurmountable, but it's quite the margin. Um, post-game remarks of Spencer Strider. Again, a lot of weird hits. They seem to be having a lot of luck right now offensively. That's great. It's August. We'll see what things are like in October. Um I think this is such an interesting story to follow because it's really kind of – I don't think anyone's directly come out and really trashed an opposition like that all year. I just can't remember of anything like that. Um, and so I think it's super interesting. Spencer Strider's a rookie uh, of all things, and he's talking this trash. Mets fans incredibly riled up uh, on this guy. A lot of just – they're crying over this. They, they can't believe Spencer Strider said this. And – I'm curious to see how this goes down the stretch and who wins this division. And if these two teams meet in October and the Mets beat the Braves in a series, you know, they're going to be getting receipts of Strider's comments. Yeah. I remember reading this last week and I'm thinking that that is not going to fly in the clubhouse. I mean, the guy's a rookie and as good as he is, I mean, the Mets absolutely obliterated them in that series. So I don't like he is allowed to do any kind of making excuses. So you're right. I think down the stretch, that's going to be a good race to watch. Both obviously going to probably make the playoffs. Phillies too. Mm-hmm. So that, that's mm-hmm. that's a really fun division. I think uh, whenever those two teams match up, that's a good one. I remember reading, I laughed when I read that because that guy he looks so funny with his mustache. But he throws you know a hundred with ease. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny one. That should be interesting. Uh, for me, for me, it's the Orioles. The Orioles are so fucking fun to watch. I mean, look. As a Mariners fan last year, when we were in it down the stretch and winning improbable games left and right, it was so fun. So I know what the Orioles fans are like watching this year. It's the same shit. The sad thing is, and I think it's really important to look at, they have 51 games left, and they're a game and a half out. 23 of their 51 games are against Toronto, Houston, and the Yankees. Oh, so if they're gonna make huh. if they're gonna make a postseason push, they're gonna have to go through the three top teams in the AL. And if they find a way to do it, I will be so amazed. It'll be so amazing for the Orioles, who have already surpassed, I think, their over under preseason win total. Yeah. Uh, you know, they trade away Lopez. It, like, 
has to have the missing. It's reminiscent of the Graveman trade last year, the Seattle made. But these guys, these young guys won't quit. Adley Rutschman's been unbelievable. Mullins, Mateo, Santander, they've been fantastic. So I'm rooting for them to surpass the Rays, not the Mariners, just the Rays. It's they suck. And jump into the mix because those fans deserve it. Um but it's going to be tough. I don't think they're going to do it with the 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 opposition that they had to face. But I think that's really something fun to watch because they're fun. I, I think, yeah, Felix, I think you brought up some really good points. Yeah, the uh, the Felix Bautista walkout song to the the whistle from the wire is, oh, okay. is really f- fucking cool. So I'm glad they did that for him. Now that he's been just so dominant with that splitter and he throws a hundred, it's gross. He's the AL. Uh... Edwin Diaz. Um, I would just say a couple things. Number one, love what everything you said makes a ton of sense. I, they really do feel like the Mariners of last year. Number two, that place. It, okay, here's what I want to do. If that, if they are close to the playoffs, I will literally down the stretch maybe playing the Yankees. I will literally like maybe last year's. I will literally drive down to Baltimore and and be in that ballpark. I want to just feel that electricity because that. Would be nuts. I know they get so riled up. I remember, you know, that series against. Um, I'm just trying to think. Detroit back when, um, and like Delman Young hit that big three run double off. I believe it was uh, Sorry, if I if I have it correctly. And that that place just gets so rowdy. They they know how to do it. So I would love to go down there for a game. I still have never been to that ballpark, but if I'm going to go, this is the year to go. Unbelievable story right now. Yeah, that is a great ballpark. I've been watching their games lately, hoping they lose. They keep winning and winning. They were down 6-3 to the Toronto, and I was like, oh, we're going to move up a game on them. And I look back, it's 7-6 Baltimore in the eighth. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> They're, they just right. no quit in that team, and I love it, even though I don't want them to beat us. But it's fun. It's fun baseball, so oh well. It's improbable. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do it for our first segment. Uh, when you hear the pod again in a few short seconds, it'll be Evan uh, and his friend Andrew talking some Red Sox. Thanks for coming on, Andrew. I'm sure it's going to be a great segment. And thanks for listening to our our first half here. Uh, you won't hear from me anymore. Just seven. So. All right. Well, it is my pleasure today to welcome in um, Andrew Gardner, co-host of Gone Bridge Podcast. One of my good friends from Durham, maybe the biggest Red Sox fan I happen to know. Um, how's it going, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me uh, on your show. I'm excited to talk some deadline and talk some Sox stuff. Absolutely. So let's get right into it right away. So obviously the trade deadline just passed not too long ago. Overall, what were your thoughts? And if you could give it a grade, what would you give it? Uh, well, honestly, I feel like I was – kind of in the minority who was pretty, pretty happy with what the Red Sox did. I was, it was pretty on par with what I was expecting him to do. I mean, you heard a lot in the days kind of leading up to it. It was like, are they going to buy? Are they going to sell? And they really didn't do either. I mean, the three names that were on the block who, who could have gone, it was probably JD number one, Vasquez number two, and Evaldi three. And Vasquez was the only guy who ended up getting traded. Um, and I heard Han talking, uh, I think it was like last week, he was saying, you know, we're going to make our guys available and we would be stupid not to listen to offers on them. And if we get something really good, we're going to go for it. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like what they did. I mean, they dumped some some pieces who have just been liabilities all year, especially in July. Like Franchi got sent down. He's been awful. And like Jackie obviously got DFA'd. He's gone. Vasquez has been good, I get, but. You know, Reese McGuire has stepped in. He's been big. And then the prospects we got back for uh, for Vasquez have been huge. I forget the guy's name in AAA, but I think he's hitting like 350 so far. He's got a handful of home runs. I mean, Vasquez was a, a free agent after this year anyway. Uh, you don't know if they're going to bring him back. So the thing I've been saying is, you know, the, the FAM and the Hosmer additions, like those are pluses. Hosmer's making nothing for three years, like, He's better than Franchi. So what I've kind of been saying about the deadline is, like, if you really thought the difference between the Red Sox, like, making the playoffs or going to the World Series was Christian Vasquez, maybe a like, slight downgrade catcher, you're crazy. Like, they're, they needed to improve in some ways, and they maybe aren't as good in other ways. But if I had to give it a grade, I'd probably give it – 
I'd say like a B or B minus. Like they didn't make huge flashy moves, but I think for someone who kind of like obviously I'm I'm so tuned into this team and like really like I kind of look at things like a lot of different ways. I I was I was I was pleased with it. I thought it was fine. This is a question off book. I di- I didn't <laughs> send this to you, but I got asked. So on this podcast, we have uh, one of my good friends, Colin, uh, who is a huge Heimblum fan, gives him a lot of credit, makes the point every GM will make a mistake or two, yep. right? Um, he's still new. We also have my other co-host, Dan, who is not a Heimblum fan at all, um, holds him accountable for the loss of Schwarber and Renfro. We'll get into that. Um, where do you come in on this kind of line? Like, where do you fall? Do you fall in the defend Heim like Colin does or – like Dan, he's not a Heim guy. He thinks you know that small market mentality is not what Boston needs. Where do you fall on? That? I'm definitely defend Heim, and I mean, I don't really know where this. Uh, like, I, I get where the small market thing has kind of come in, um, but it's not like since Heim's come in, it's not completely out of characteristic with how the organization's been run in the years before that. I mean, we saw John Lester low-balled and not signed, and you know, nobody was kind of talking about that then, and the whole Mookie thing, like, I don't like to put that on Hein because he basically got the job and was inherited with that, and I, I think that was just a messy situation to begin with, um, but I'll definitely defend him, I mean, I know we're going to send me some stuff about Renfro and Schwarber, I mean, the Renfro trade is the one thing of his that I... I that's the one move I'm like, all right, this was that was a bad move. That was a bad move. But the the other moves he's made, I mean, a small market team doesn't go sign Trevor Story for five years and 150 million. They don't they don't do that. And you know, I get that they've kind of gone after small pieces of rotation and that. But you look at other guys who have signed big contracts, which I think the ownership is a little bit weary of. Um, now signing guys too, but even pitchers this this past offseason, like uh, Barrios and Strom, guys like that who got paid and have not been good. Uh, and you look at a guy like Mike, Barrios has been one of the worst. Barrios has he's been, been horrible this been year. Terrible. So, you know, I kind of look at it like I, I just think they're a little more cautious with, with doing stuff like that. And I, I don't think that, that like, uh, I think I think he's just he's smarter in trying to build him up than in the past. I think that's just something Red Sox fans aren't accustomed to seeing. You know, it's usually like Dombrowski. All the prospects we have, you know, trade them off and bring him back. But we're we're gonna see a logjam here in the next year or so where I'm saying we're big because there there's just too many prospects and that this and that. So. I, I'm defending him so far. I mean, realistically, this is only year two of Hun, in my opinion. Um, and he got us to the ALCS in the first year. And, uh, you know, injury came and underperformance the second year. So I would say maybe give it one more year, and then you can kind of make more of a, a judgment on that. But I, I'm, I'm happy with the job he's done so far. So let's talk Renfro and Schwarber now and kind of this past offseason that they had. So – my question to you simply is, I mean, why do you believe that the Red Sox let Schwarber and Renfro go this past offseason? And I'll quickly say this. It was interesting to see. You brought up Trevor Story, right? That was such a late signing into free agency. He was sitting there. It was surprising that he was sitting there. Obviously, coming up in Colorado, he was, you know, one of the high, most highly touted prospects that, you know, we've seen in a while. And so... He was just sitting out there, and I think there was pressure from Red Sox fans and, and maybe pressure within the organization that when Heim had let Schwarber go, Schwarber go, who signed in Philadelphia, I believe, before that, the Renfro trade, I believe, was also before that. I think there was some pressure on Heim to make a move. It came so late. I don't know how much the Red Sox were really in love with Trevor Story rather than he's a big fish, we have the money to spend and we should go use it because there's some pressure. We think we're going to be good. I don't think the team loved Trevor Story coming in. Yeah, I completely um, agree with that. No, I don't completely disagree with that. I mean, I think it was – I mean, the lockout and everything, all the moves 
the trade deadline happened like within three days. So I remember being after day two, the Red really had only gone out and trying to remember. I guess they trying to remember guys like that before the uh, before the lockout. But I remember looking at the the lineup was gone and Renfro was there is a huge hole in it. and it's going to be patched with Royo and you know Franchi. So I I don't completely agree with that. I mean, underwhelming. Um, his defense has been good. You know, he he's a good base runner, but average down a bit. This year, I've been hurt for the last like six. But yeah, I don't completely disagree with that. But kind of going back to Renfro again, the Renfro trade I look at and I'm like, this that was that was a weird trade. That was a weird trade. I mean. They got at at the time two solid prospects back, but Benellis has really struggled in the minor leagues this year. I don't really know what the other guy has done. Obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr. was a complete atrocity, which was expected to to happen. I mean, when he made the trade, I was I don't really know why we're loading up on more minor league guys. Like the only thing that I can think of the mindset behind that trade was sell high on Renfro. He's not going to do this again, and he's had another solid year. Like he's a good hitter. No, he's always been a good average the last three around a little bit. So that that is the one move where I just I can't justify it like that. That's just a bad move because the Red Sox have just struggled as an outfield this year. Um, but Schwarber, I understand not bringing him back. I think that obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but you look at right. Dahlbeck and you're like, okay, he really turned it up like the last month of of the year he hit like you know 11 home runs in september or something like that you know they also had their top prospect up at some point this year he got hurt i mean the injuries have just this year and i think they just kind of looked at it we want to allocate this elsewhere forward on base but other than that kind of a player and i think they looked at story and just been like i think this money would Go better here, you know. Better. I, I, I've said this. I think obviously said a story, but two or three years from now, I'd rather have story than Schwarber. So once Costas comes up, and I don't really know what to do, best, but I think that was kind of the mindset behind things. So you know, it is tough to see now because those guys have been lighting it up. But you know, I think if if things had gone to plan, we wouldn't be. No, having this conversation is like all the And if things had gone to plan, we certainly wouldn't see the Red Sox in fifth place right now. I mean, obviously, the Orioles have been an awesome story to follow. Tampa, as unexciting as they are, they still hang around. Um, so who should hold most of the blame for the Red Sox being in fifth place? I know you talk about the injuries, and we can you know discuss that all day long. But is there any sort of uh, player or – um, is there anyone in particular that you look at and say, if you stepped it up or if you handled things differently, this team would not be in fifth place? I mean, listen, I'll defend him, but I another mover, especially in the. I mean, the bullpen has been so bad this year, and I and the starting rotation too, for the most part. I'm. I mean, again, the whole month of or second half of June and most of July, we were missing four of our starters, which is tough. But still, you look at this rotation, and even coming into the season, I think there was an expectation that Sale was going to be healthy at some point and Paxton was going to be back at least at this point uh, in the season. So, and I know Heim knew that, and I know, you know, he brought in guys like Richel and Walker to fill the void. But, you know, there are some guys who have stepped up but I would say it falls on Hunt a little bit with the pitching staff, the, move, the moves he, he hasn't made. Um, I mean, there, there have been guys who stepped up, like Buttercrow, okay, Shriver, and great out of the pen. I mean, they've got, they've got a solid back. I mean, they've got Falcon Shriver. But I, yeah, there could be, like, like they could have used a better lefty out there. They thought Eaton was going to be better. Darwin's been 
are completely awful. I thought completely awful. Oh, he sucks. He's PSA. terrible. At least send him down. Yeah. At least send someone him was coming yeah. back. All right. Um, so, you know, it's just, yeah. I think there could have been a little bit more organizational depth that they could have added on to. I mean, that never hurt to happen. It never hurt to have more pitchers. I mean, but again, I think all that there have been 12 different guys in this year. I mean, that's, that's two and a half rotations, basically. So, you know, I just think it's been a whole combination of guys underperform. It's just, it's just been a bad year. They got off to a bad start, and it's, you know, the fact that they're, I, I don't even know what they're at right now, only four and a half back. I mean, I, I guess they still have a chance to get into the playoffs, but it's just, the, the team, it's a boring team. It's being very boring. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, And so, looking kind of at the future, right? The future yeah. is a little murky, right? Um, And seeing kind of these free agents that are coming up, Obviously, we got J.D. Martinez, Nate Evaldi, Tommy Pham now uh, for this year. And then you look, Bogarts, what's the situation with him? I assume Hosmer and Sale will obviously opt in, so I don't think we will lose them. But put your GM hat on for a second. Like, What are this team's needs, and who do you bring back, and who do you let go, given the uncertainty of uh, Devers and Bogarts right now? I mean, that's a tough one. Kind of like waiting for the dog ball. You you're waiting for to see what moves. And if you don't bring back Bogart, Devers is as good as. I mean, he he's not. I mean, and that that's what is unfortunately. But if they don't bring back, would an incredibly stupid move. They're gonna. So you know, I'm sure they could go after some higher end pitchers. So you know, we haven't not really seen a lot of pitchers on the free agent market in the last couple of years, go and sign big deals and really work out. I mean, you look at another guy this year, like Robbie Ray. He he went and got it, wins the Cy Young last mm-hmm. year. I mean, he's been okay, but nothing close to what, what you're paying him for. Well, yeah. I'm real quick, I'll jump in here. Um, yeah. You look at a guy, right? Like, for example, Tyler yeah. Anderson in, with the Dodgers yeah. this year. A guy who you know, played with the Mariners late last year, wasn't anything special, really hasn't been anything special. Obviously, Pittsburgh for a time. And you see what he's doing with the Dodgers this year, all-star game nod and and really just like Cy Young-type numbers. So I completely agree. I don't think spending money on starting pitching is the way to go. Yeah, it's just – If you have a more dependable guy, I mean, I I still go back to Lester. Like a guy like Lester, that's the type of player you want to lock up for for years. And, you know – that happened. It's almost been a decade now. But in terms of free agents, it's I. This is now the second year in a row where you're kind of like, I don't know which direction this team is going to go in. You know, I I think you could see Avaldi come back for the right price. They're not going to overpay for him, but I also think he's a guy who could get some decent money out out in the market. Um, I'm trying to. So who else? Fan. I mean, fans got a mutual option, so. We could maybe see him come back, um, but uh, JD, what do you think? JD, JD, JD do you think JD's gone back? Um, I heard that he had asked the front office for a two to three year deal to then retire with the team after he wanted to stay, and then back in spring training. And not, um, they did not talk to him, and his numbers have fallen off a cliff since May. And I, could, I, I think it's another team's going to go out give him some money. JD's definitely gone. I'm curious to see who, who the DH is going to be next year. But obviously, Vasquez is out now. Don't have to worry about that. We'll see about Bogarts. JBJ is already gone. Uh, Kike is going to be gone. I mean, none of those guys really move the meter for me. But, you know, you still look at their as strong. Uh, he'll be gone. So, there are, there are a lot of question marks. I, I would like to see... Waka back. I mean, he's been good, but I'm feeling this type of guy Heim brings every year. He does well and then goes signs a bigger deal somewhere else. So, you know, Heim's always going to find a guy who's not on any of our radar radars. So, we'll see. I, I I don't really have like too too much of an expectation of who will come back and who won't. But I would say, Avaldi. I I. I 
bringing him back. But beyond that, I, I can't really say. Well, and let's look at Bogart's endeavors for a second. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty, right? Uh, you see kind of the reports that have been coming out, especially in the last month. I mean, you see some of the comments that John Henry made. Um, how confident are you that the team brings back each player? And do you th- – I mean, what are the chances they bring back both? I mean, would you say that is low? Or I guess what's your gut instinct on that? Um, I feel <laughs> – I don't know. I mean – I feel weird about things. It's just like, it's like Mookie 2.0. It's like, you got this homegrown guy who's basically the captain of this team. He's been in the organization for, you know, 13 years now. Like they would just be so dumb to let him go. They'd be so dumb to let him go. And, you know, he's not the type of guy that is going to have to sign a, a eight, nine, 10 year deal for them to keep him. If you sign him for five or six years at his, as you know, market value right around 30 million that's a good contract i mean i don't really think they're gonna have to pay bogarts over two dollars and if if they let him go over that i i don't know but my gut instinct is that they will bring him back devers i hope they do i think if bogarts resigns then you start talking about devers but again it's kind of like you got to wait for the dominoes to fall. You know, it's kind of the focus is on Bogarts right now. And I do think, I do think they'll bring him back. I think they'll restructure his contract or, you know, the crazy thing is if he, if he pops in, I mean, that that would be, he's a little bit unpaid. I'm, I'm confident they're going to do it because I, I, I just can't imagine them losing, you know, both of them. The the fan base would absolutely turn because I, I, I you look at the minor league too. Just, uh, but beyond those two guys, when Devers was out, there's a massive hole in the lineup. Massive hole. When both was out too, it's, this team would be really bad for three years if they did. So I'm I'm confident that they'll kind of kind of they'll get it together and hopefully come back. My sort of perspective on this is that I think Devers has to be the priority. And I know we talk about that's a year from now, but you have to make this a priority now, I think, because I genuinely believe this guy has gotten better and better each year. I think he is primed to win AL MVP very soon. I I would not be shocked. Elite, elite special player. Completely agree. I mean, you look at his stats the last, I mean, exclude 2020, but 19. 21, 22. I mean, he's one of the best hitters in the league. You absolutely cannot let him go. And, and yeah, I mean, he's still young. I don't, what is he like? He's got to be 26, 27 now. I mean, he's still, he's still so young. And he's just an elite talent that he's going to, if, if Austin Riley, what did he get? Like 200? I believe. Yeah, I think twenty one per, and I was just going to bring that up. I think that bears well for the Red Sox that he I got twenty one I mean, a year. The Braves seem to have that, you know, lock up organizational talent thing figured out. I'm looking at free agents after this yeah. year. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose Dansby Swanson, but they've also got I forget the new guy's name who just came up and hit a nuke against the Red Sox in his first uh, first. Oh yes, yeah, Gris- yeah. Grissom, right? I believe. I mean, but that's the thing. That's such a good point because you look at the Braves and, and their homegrown talent. You, you look yeah. at what Michael Harris is doing. The lefty rookie that they have in the lineup. Hitting ninth sets the table kind of for the top of the order. He's been unbelievable. So to your point, the Red Sox really don't do a great job at developing that talent like the Braves I do, mean, especially yeah, retaining I mean, that. In terms of pitching, there, they're awful. Awful at developing pitching. Hitting, they, they've they've developed some good hitters the last decade. Some some really good hitters, but again, they've they've let them go and they not, are not here anymore. So I would just really like it because we have not had a player since I'm trying to think of like the last really big homegrown talent that the Red Sox have. I mean, you gotta look back to like Carly Ostremski, something like that, like Jim Rice. Like we're looking back that far. I mean, David Ortiz, obviously Manny, like Veritech, they were all great, but none of them came through the system like Arts or Devers, right. and obviously Mookie's gone. But 
they they, they have got has to, to put some priority on that, or else, you know, in, in the coming years, all right, when are we going to see Casas go? When are we going to see Blaze Jordan and Marcelo Meyer go? Because then the timeline is five all of these guys, and you've got no confidence that any of these guys are going to retire, have their number retired, you know, retire with the team. So I don't know. They this is this is like a statement a statement move for the ownership in the front office too, because uh, I would say more so the owners, because if they want to be serious, if, if Bogart signs a six year deal and doesn't like basically decombust like Pedroia did, he's going to have his number retired. Most likely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he's having that type of career for the Red Sox. So I, I just, I, I hope, I hope they don't. Well, yeah, I have lost all hope with John Henry. Uh, I'm still waiting for my Nesson scoreboard that doesn't look black and white. I'm still waiting for that to be redone, and then maybe uh, he'll start to focus on the team. Yeah. Put a little effort into something, we've just, John. Um, but, no, we've just seen ownership has completely stepped away from any part of the mm-hmm. team. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more that goes behind on behind the scenes, but even I remember when I was younger – and, you know, you would see John Henry talking more about the team at the games, a lot more involved. And I think they've been stretched a little thin. What do they own? Liverpool. Uh, they own the Penguins now. Mm-hmm. They have Fenway Sports Group. I think a lot of different stuff. Red Sox kind of fallen down. Matter mm-hmm. a little bit. Unfortunate. So, you know, we've been lucky to have involved owners the last couple of years, but you don't want this to turn into a situation like, you know, the the Cohens with the Mets or something like that were bad owners. So I, I just like to see more involvement. And you know, John Henry at the tr- I think it was around the trade deadline. It was his first public media appearance about the Red Sox in over two years. So, and it went from what no, I remember, didn't it go so, great? Correct. It, he, you know, he show his face and and pretend like exactly. he cares, but it's quite obvious that he. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it, so we'll see. Let's look at the pitching staff for next year. Still, again, a lot of questions. We both agree that they should add. If you could pick kind of five guys, I mean, what do you think it's looking like for next year? Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, I so so opening day this year it was Avaldi, Pavetta, Hauk, Hill, and Waka, and. Really, the only guy you can pencil in for next year is Nick Pavetta, who has had a rough last six or seven starts. Really. Started the year well. Yep. I mean, he had about two to three more starts before the deadline where you're like, you know, if he deals here, he could potentially go to the All-Star game. And then he blew up against Tampa, New York, and I think Tampa or New York again. So he's the only guy. I mean, Pavetta's like a, a three or four at best. He's not a two. He's not obviously not an ace. He's a he's a he's a decent reliable pitcher. He'll give you innings. So throw Pavetta in there. I mean, if you can keep Chris Sale off a bike, if you can keep Chris like healthy, he'll be for opening day. I mean, if we're talking like opening day rotation, I'm confident Chris Sale's going to be there. I, I hope he will be, but. We'll, we'll put him in there for now. So we'll say Sale, Pavetta. And then looking on beyond that, I mean, I, I could see Winkowski sneaking in as like a fifth starter. But they're going to have to go out and sign some guys. The guy who two years ago I wanted them to go out and get is a free agent again. And he just got traded, although I think he's he's got a player option. So we'll see if he accepts it. But Jake Odorizzi, he, he's like he's a good fit for this team. He's not going to be a guy you got to go out and spend a money on. But. Just guys like that, middle of the kind of middle of the road guys. Uh, those those would be the guys like like even a Noah Syndergaard, if they go out and target him, like you know something like that. So I'll say the rotation next year is going to be Sale Pavetta, and then throw in two free agents, and then possibly Winkowski or Waka or somebody on that end. So something like that. So this kind of ties in up into my last question here. Um, so obviously you said the two free agents. Can we can we like not expect somebody? Would it be I guess crazy to say and to want this team to bring in a guy like 
Luis Castillo. I know he's still got one more year, but a guy like Frankie Montas, I believe, is going to be up. Uh, yeah. There's going to be some options. You brought up Syndergaard. Um, that kind of ties into, like, if you could, like, get one player on this team. And it could be realistic. It could not be re- realistic, but that seems reasonable. Um, for this team to get, like, who would that player be? Like, who do you think would be a perfect fit on this team? Like, if you could oh, have your choice. Man, that's a tough question. I mean, in terms of pitchers – after this year, the guy who I would love for them to go after, Carlos Rodon. He's probably dropped out. He's had another really good year with the Giants. You know, he, he's going to go out and get paid again. And he's proven that, you know, Chicago and San Francisco aren't like proven that he can go out, you know, pitch for decently sized teams. So he would be great. I would love him. Oh, and I also forgot Paxton. I think Paxton the rotation. Uh, in terms of more reasonable expectations, yeah, Odorizzi, Syndergaard, maybe a guy like Chris Bassett if he opts out of his contract, maybe a guy like Aaron Sanchez. I mean, there's not a ton of like flashy, flashy options. I mean, I don't, I don't really know if the Red Sox are like when the next time they're going to go after a big ace. But if they don't resign Bogarts and they kind of the can on Endeavor if they make that decision this offseason. Is it out of the question they go after Aaron Judge? I don't I don't think I don't think it's completely out of the question. I mean, that's far fetched. But he's definitely not going back to the game. He's just you can you can tell. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out west, but you know that that would I would love for them to go but in terms of like realistic bats to go after this year too, I I First base. If they got Eric do they Hawk, need a first okay base with him? I think another guy you could look at who who just got traded is Trey Mancini. I think you know he could play the outfield too. He could DH next year. He could play first base. I think Trey Mancini would be a great fit on this team. And if you want to look at another veteran outfielder, I know he just got. Uh, I think he just got surgery. He's done for the year. But another Astros player who's a free agent, Michael Brantley. I mean, he's thirty five, but you know that'd be a, a decent top. Line. Yeah. So. You know, better. there are guys like that who they could go out and get and not, you know, break the, the bank on. And, you know, uh, a lineup next year of, you know, if, if you keep Tommy Pham or even if it's Brantley, if it's, you know, Brantley, Devers, Bogarts, and then, you know, Mancini, Hugo, Hosmer, Story, McGuire, and then, you know, Duran or fill in some better. Like, that. that's a – that's a great lineup. Like that's a really good lineup. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens, but they're uh, you know, they're definitely the way they're kind of running the team right now is more year to year, I feel like. So, it's always very variable who's going to who's going to come back. So, we'll we'll see. Lastly, before I let you go, yeah. thoughts on Duran. I just got to ask you. Obviously, we saw the KC thing, we saw the Yankees thing. Um you know, what are was, your thoughts on, on him? <laughs> I was kind as of that, excited to, have, like, to see him come back up this year. And when Kike went down, I was like, this is a great op- opportunity for Duran to kind of prove himself. It has just been – I mean, his on-field play defensively has been bad. He's been lazy on the pass. I mean, the thing about Duran is everybody's like, oh, he's speed-wise, he's the next Jacoby Ellsbury. You know, he's got 98th percentile and. He just, I feel like that hasn't played into his game at all. He's got three home runs a couple of years ago. He's hit 30 in the minors. And, yeah, he's honest, quite honestly, been a guy for the team. I, I mean, there was, when they when they won two out of three against the Astros, someone was like, you know, how do you feel? And he was like, keep doubting us, this and that. I mean, you know, we, you know, when we interview people, like, you know, sports players, you know, stuff like that for even when if someone yeah. gave me a quote like that, I'd be like, hell yeah, like this is great. Like that is the exact thing that, you know, these teams have PR people that, that you are told, you know, just like keep it basic, keep it basic. Don't, and he, he's going out and, you know, thanks for doubting us, this and that on Sports Center, on Sports Center. Um, so I, I don't know. He just kind of seems, you know, obviously there's the vaccination thing too. It's just like, he just seems like he's not not mature, 
enough to be, you know, may, maybe for a smaller market team, but in the spotlight of Boston, I don't, I don't really, I, I'm not a big fan of him, honestly. All right. Well, we've been speaking with Andrew Gardner, co-host of Gonebridge Podcast. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for joining Hopefully, us today. Sox will will find a way to get in the playoffs. Yeah, we'll see. I do believe in miracles, so we'll figure Thanks. that out. All right. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Clubhouse Convos podcast. You can find us most notably on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And while you're at it, don't forget to check out our NFL show, The Sling in a Deep Podcast, hosted by our very own Dan Hayes. Make sure to follow our Instagram as well, at the Clubhouse Convos for power rankings, episode releases, and so much more. Thanks again for joining us today, and we will see you back here next week. Take care, everybody. Put your tears away, ain't no fear today You can drive off towards that summertime sunset It's what you ain't done yet, take the keys, leave the regrets Write your letters, place your bets, I'll be the one who accepts